0: Hello, beautiful people. Thank you for clicking on this episode and joining us here at the Melanated
1: Intellects Podcast. My name is Patrice. And my name is Shayla. We are here to talk about everyday melanated topics while bringing a distinct intellectual perspective. Thanks so much for joining. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome back. And thank you so much for clicking on this episode. Um, This is part three of this four part series for Black History Month. We are doing about 100 years of Black history, but not just American history. We really wanted to take a look at it at at a world sort of perspective. If you haven't listened to the other um, episodes in this series, please make sure you do. Um, As always, our um, resources and things of that nature will be in our description. And um, we left off on the 60s, which was a lot (laughs) a lot happened (laughs) in the 60s for for those of the African diaspora it was not Mm -hmm. just particularly here in America um, but I would say the 60s were just big for for just people of African descent right Mm -hmm. Uh, which is which is good for us to know and and sort of our motivation behind doing this is sort of having a a more well-rounded view when it comes to black history Um, Mm -hmm. So I'll hop into the 70s. Of course, be aware that as we get closer to current day, uh, we may be going over things that people have at least heard of or might have some familiarity with, and that just comes with the nature of it becoming closer and closer to to current day. Mm -hmm. Um, Okay, so some sources told me 1970, some sources told me 1971. You know that happens sometimes when it comes to our history, but sometime Mm -hmm. on or about late 1970 to beginning in 1971. Angela Davis, Miss Angela Davis is put on yes. the FBI's most wanted list over uh, links to the Black Panther Party. Um, she was arrested at the Howard Johnson Motor Lodge in Midtown Manhattan. Her 18 month incarceration, which ultimately resulted in uh, acquittal, um, set off a nationwide free Angela Davis movement, excuse me. Um, and of course, there was activists and artists and celebrities and things like that who, who joined in uh, with that movement. John Lennon and Yoko Ono wrote um, "Angela" to raise awareness um, about the plight. Rolling Stones penned their song "Sweet Black Angel." Um, so you know, it, it was a, it was very obviously I wasn't there right in 1970. But what I know and what I've read um, was a very monumental moment when it came to our history. Um, so Davis mm-hmm. first gained national attention when she got removed from her um, teaching position, and that was at UCLA, and that was due to her communist affiliations, right? So Ronald Reagan was not a big fan of her, um, and at the time, he was the governor of California, um, and he was essentially the, the motivation behind her um, firing. Um, and she successfully challenged that decision and got her job back. Um, you gotta love Miss Davis. You know what I'm saying. You gotta love Miss Davis. You really do. When uh, she showed up during the George Floyd riots, I was like, right? "Yes, Miss Davis. Yes,
0: yes, Ooh. honey." I I I legit cried because I never thought in my life I'd be able to see her, even if it's through a damn TV screen. So when she pulled up, I was jealous of everybody in that damn crowd. Like, you
1: know, she ain't new to this. <laughs> She's true to this. I mean, she okay. Is- and oh, I'm getting chills um, just thinking about that right? site. Um, mm. and 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 I knew a lot of this information that I'm about to go over, I didn't know all of it, but that's maybe that's just yeah. me. Um, but um, you know, her story is obviously widely known, yeah. Um, okay, so the part that was kind of fuzzy to me was, was what originally led to the arrest. Like, I, I remember some of it, but I, I didn't quite know it in this detail. Um, so, okay. So she, what happened was she joined the, I I think it's pronounced Soledad brothers defense committee. Um, Mm -hmm. she was a strong supporter of these three prisoners. Um, they were brothers called the Soledad brothers from the Soledad prison in California. Um, during one of the brothers trials, there was a failed armed escape and, um, several people were killed, right. And the guns used in the crime were registered under her name. Um, Although she was not present nor aware of the escape plan, Davis was brought up on charges, including um, murder, and she went into hiding um, at 28 years old. And then I was like, wow, 28. That's so young. You know what I mean? To be making history the way she was making it.
0: And
1: America's um, most wanted list, honey. Right? America's most wanted. I'm like, wow, 28. Like, I don't know. That just made me, because now I'm, you know, 32. So then for me, like, 28 was just a minute ago. So I was just, I yeah. don't know. I just hadn't thought about it. I, I just didn't think about it until I went over her story. But um, she became the third woman in history uh, to end up on the FBI's most wanted list when she was 28 years old. And uh, the federal charge was unlawful interstate flight. She was caught on October 13th, 1970, and finally acquitted on all charges in 1972. Um, spent 18 months in court, uh, incarcerated. So um, I just feel like you kind of can't talk about the 70s without talking about, without talking about Ms. Davis. So Listen, um, that fro
0: alone, okay? Right? That fro alone made a statement. There's no the way of getting past her. There's, there's no way. Really. I remember I wore Angela Davis earrings. It was her face in my earrings to work one time, and I'm in corporate America. <laughs> uh, that says a lot about me. I told y'all I don't close switch very well. Um, so someone's like, "Oh, your earrings are so pretty. Is that you?" <laughs> No. <laughs> Mind you, at the time I'm I'm rocking the fro with the and I have a gap as well for the audience who has not seen my picture. Um, and so I was like, no. Um, and she was like, oh, who is it? And I explained it's Angela Davis. And it got very awkward very quickly. I don't think <laughs> that she knew who Angela Davis was, but Ooh. I would bet money she had an idea <laughs> that it was something she didn't want to dive into any further. Mm-hmm. Um because she got real uncomfortable. I just like yeah, you know, don't ask questions. You don't want the answers to, you know, whatever. But <laughs> yes, yes, Miss Angela Davis. You you can't go without. Bringing you really her.
1: can You mm-hmm. you really cannot. Um, you know. So I wanted to make sure that uh we spoke about her because you know you can't not. Um, so um, moving on. And okay, so this was also in 1970. Um, Josephine. I believe her last name is pronounced Houston. Um, she was a native of Granada and a flight attendant became the first woman of African ancestry to wield the Miss World pageant stage. I was like, okay, Miss World. Um, she represented, you know, her country and the contest was held in London. Um, and she won the competition. She, she, she won it. Um, Now, what ended up being a big deal when it came, I mean, obviously, besides the fact that she's the first black woman to do it, but the popular event was seen over um, one million viewers tuned in around the world, not only because they knew she was present, um, but just because of its popularity at that time. Um, It was also the event was also held with sort of around the anti apartheid movement. Um, Which was you know happening at that time And um, Of course that was happening in South Africa And South Africa actually Sent two representatives to the Contest one white and one black Now she um, After she won She eventually returned to college as an Adult and now has two master's degrees One in political science Excuse me political science and uh, One in psychotherapy I just thought Like wow is it? The, I don't know. I found that fascinating. I'm like, oh, she's smart and she's pretty. Um, and I am just mm-hmm. like, wow, she went back to college late in life. She got these masters and she's making it happen. And she's very active. And, you know, I didn't record everything. But as reading her story, she's just very active when it came to just, um, you know, her activism and helping her people and things of that nature. So I don't know. It was just interesting. Did you have anything to add?
0: Um, Shout out to fellow black pageant queens Um, Oh yes,
1: (laughs) yes, 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 yes For those who who don't know, um, that was Patrice's life at one point in time Very long time, Um, but shout out to Beauty
0: and Brains and Activism I'm I'm always a ride for that Because, you know, uh, rocking and fro with a crown ain't the easiest thing in the world So um, shout out to my fellow queens, I love that one
1: Yes, um, okay, so this was one year later Now we're moving into 1972 uh, Rosemary Brown of Vancouver, Canada Becomes the first Afro-Canadian I never heard that term before reading this article, by the way Woman <laughs> to be elected to public office um, When she wins a seat at the British Columbia Legislative Assembly Right, obviously I know there's, there's Afro-Canadians I just never heard the term put together in that way Mm-hmm. Um, um, now, she was a pol- politician, feminist, writer, educator. Um, she lectured. She was a mother. So she she was a woman of many hats. Um, now, back in 1956, Ms. Brown helped the um, founding of the British Columbia Association for the Advancement of Colored People, which was essentially their version of NAACP. Mm-hmm. They called it BCAACP, which I'm going to assume is BC. Double A. British Columbia. Let me stop. Yeah. British Columbia (laughs) Association for the Advancement of Colored People. B.C. I I, I was about to give it a whack.
0: I was. I stopped myself. I was was going to be right, but I didn't have confidence. (laughs) Yeah.
1: It's okay. Uh, (laughs) So, um, yeah. So, she worked to open up um, housing and employment to black people. And um, she was just really active. And I thought, like, oh, how interesting. Like, that was cool. Um, And she did a lot of roles and things like that when it came to their um, political positions and and things of that nature. So um, I kind of actually like, and I I didn't check for her specifically, but I like uh, the history once we get a little closer because they're still alive and active. You know, Mm. they're still doing, you know, they're still doing things and making moves and, you know, they're still here if you, you know, I don't know how many of them, of these individuals that we're speaking about have social media, but like you still have access to them. I think a lot of times uh, when it comes to those who have made great strides in history, you know, after they've passed is when we give them their flowers. And yeah. so I love when people who are in history books and making moves happen are still here because then mm-hmm. it's like, wow. And it also reminds you that it wasn't that long ago. Cause you know, people trying mm-hmm. to make it seem like it was a long time ago and it really just like, they still here active, being yeah. active. So then, yeah. they, so then it wasn't that long ago. Mm-hmm. Right. right. Um, so I don't know. Th- those things are what come up from here. Remind me. Did you have anything you want to add?
0: I did, and it just ran away from me. What the hell was I going to say? God <laughs> damn it. <laughs> I,
1: was I was about to get in there, too. Oh, um,
0: shit. Oh, you know, I think you kind of think about the civil rights movement that was the only movement. Today there's so many movements, small organizations, Mm. coalitions, activists, librarians, professors, you know what I'm saying? Um, People who are making small strides in their communities whether they realize it or not, Whether you're a recruiter, whether you're a manager, whether anything, you know, your your representation that allows the opening of a door, window, hell, the whole fucking roof off the building that has gatekeeped and caused discrimination and all of that. So when you hear about stories like that, and especially people who are still alive, and, you know, I know oftentimes we focus so heavily on. There's so much work to be done. There's so much work to be done. I think stories like that give you comfort in knowing mm-hmm. that the work is being done. There are people who are actively living and making these moves. Who did this X amount of years ago, and they are still alive. This is still their mission. Shout out to the Angela Davises of the world. Uh, you know what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. This is this is their story. So
1: yeah. Yeah, and the fact that we can be here to see them pass the baton, right? Oof, um, yeah. You know, we didn't have that opportunity with so many of those who died, right? Malcolm X mm-hmm. and, and um, MLK, right? Like, that opportunity wasn't given. So, like, the ones that are mm-hmm. still here, like, allow the baton to be passed. Like, learn, this, you know, they're not going to be here forever, um right. so i don't know that, that's what i think about once we start getting like oh 70s 80s like oh okay that you know that's mm-hmm. i was born in the 80s like oh okay you know i feel like we're, we're like we're like you know we're close um mm-hmm. yeah so yeah um okay so that was 72 also in 72 a famine begins in ethiopia um, now that lasted for two years and I, okay so I was aware right that there was a famine I can't say that I, I knew specifically that it was in 72 and actually this was one of many so I pro- I'm probably remembering the one that was um, maybe 90s or early 2000s mm-hmm. but it killed over 200,000 people and that number was staggering to me because I don't think I had I mean you hear right about a famine but I hadn't put a number of deaths to it. Mm -hmm. Um, So I don't know, it was just something that made me take pause as I was reviewing the information. But this is in Ethiopia.
0: Mm -hmm. I think also as as Americans, it's in a way it has been normalized for Mm -hmm. things like that to happen in Africa. And, and even in a way, even desensitize, like the world is a third world country, you know what I'm saying,
1: mm. which is
0: not acceptable at all whatsoever. So it's like, I don't think there is enough effort and emphasis on the number and the impact of something like that taking place, you know?
1: That is so true. And actually in one of these articles, they were talking about how people were upset because it didn't get the type of recognition yeah. that it should have gotten and the assistance and aid was not provided in a way that it should have been from, you know, allies and, and mm-hmm. things of that nature. Um, so that was interesting that you brought that up because that's pretty much exactly what my um my Because I, be I be knowing, girl. Because I be knowing. That's funny. Um, Patrice knows. Um, okay, so the famine was not simply a result of the drought, of course, but the ha- Haile Selassie, which we kind of went over earlier. I think that was in our first or maybe second. I think it was in our first episode. I talked about Ross Tafari because that was his real name. But um, the government ignored and suppressed information about the starvation and international aid organizations. Um, wanting to prepare good relations excuse me, excuse me, wanted to preserve good relations with friendly government, ignored troubling information about the starvation. So, like essentially what I gathered was that there was facts and information that came out before the famine eventually started to be like, Ooh, we're not gonna make it, like it's not looking good and then the government um like hid the information from everybody. What? I know. That's why, I mean, yes, yes I'm aware there's a, a famine, right? But I mm-hmm. wasn't aware of that, right? So even the things that we think we know, I like to go back and, and look at it anyway, because I'm just like, oh, y'all hid. You hid information.
0: This is what I'm lost about. Because one, yeah. any government that, that sees light in your people dying is problematic, right? Then you, and not even to say that this is okay, but there are even instances where governments will take an epidemic as such and get the funds from it, but still not use it towards the people. You know, well, even that will even take place. That That. didn't even happen. They just completely hid the reality of what was going on. That's wild.
1: Lied about it. Lied about how bad it was, um, ignored wow. the warnings of, you know, I don't know what committee or organization knew it was coming, you know, but I'm sure there's somebody that looks at that or manages that like, hey, I ran through these numbers and it's not looking good for us. Mm. Um, just to pre- kind of preserve good relations and an image, I guess. That's what I got. That's what I, how I took it. It's like, oh, you wanted to preserve your image so you you, you didn't tell nobody. Um, that Yeah,
0: that's what I would think too. Yeah.
1: Yeah. The uh, United Nations Economic Commission for Africa focused on improving uh, rural development by improving national infrastructure and reform and things of that nature, and eventually they came out of it, right? Um, That lasted for two years. Um, They also, something that I thought was interesting, this organization removed trees and planted more lucrative crops. Um, to help prevent it from happening again. Obviously, we know e- Ethiopia does go through another famine after the one in 72, but um, I was like, oh, that's interesting. Creative. Makes sense. Interesting, though. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, I just, I don't know. That was just information I didn't know about it, right? I wasn't a stranger mm-hmm. to the fact they went through a famine, but um, I didn't realize that it took so many people. Um, and I didn't realize sort of the political cloud that was over it. Yeah. Um, okay, sure. so this is the same year affirmative action is given legal basis wow. with the passing of the Equal Employment Opportunity Act. Same year, um, and uh, it was designed to prohibit job discrimination, right? We're still familiar with it today because everybody got to sign off on it when they, you apply somewhere, uh, mm-hmm. so everybody should know. Or and now you know got to add man. to
0: it. You got to add to it, too. You know, you got that Crown Act taking care of the hair.
1: That's true, yeah, that that's real That's real
0: um, <laughs> Let me find out, we gotta put Do not discriminate against race,
1: religion, sex Age, hair type, what? Yeah, well you know The original one, and I specifically looked at The ones they listed, the original one is race Religion, color, national origin, and sex But you're right, as time goes on They're gonna have to add to that list Just keep on adding Mask on. wears, non-mask wearers. I don't know Yes, etc. <laughs> right? etc. Et cetera, et cetera. <laughs> You can
0: <laughs> right. Plus,
1: <laughs> um,
0: Oh gosh.
1: Mm. Um, I also just kind of wanted to clarify because I know sometimes it's, it's still a controversial topic when it comes to affirmative action. Uh, but it go, the article went on to say that the term "equal" uh, must be interpreted correctly as it applies to this legislation. Excuse me, legislation. Uh, it does not mean that every applicant or employee um, must be considered. Um, Equal inability or competency Rather it means that the law looks at all Applicants or employees as equals Right who deserve Mm. fair treatment You know because sometimes I feel like that still Come up about affirmative action And equal employment opportunity Um, Which it shouldn't But it does it does it really really Does still come up
0: There are statistics today that show affirmative action Ended up not helping (laughs) Minorities And in fact I think it was I think it was actually white women that ended up benefiting from it i have to look up the sources mm. and the statistics because this is a conversation i had a couple of years back but um yeah it 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 that's why today we don't just discuss you don't hear affirmative action in diversity equity and inclusion mm. because the numbers game ain't going um so yeah yeah it's
1: um <laughs> it's controversial I'll say that mm-hmm. even, even today, it can still be controversial Absolutely. topic. Um, okay. So that was 72. So then 73, Tom Bradley was the first African American, excuse me, African American mayor of LA. Um, he was a lot of people will probably remember him because of uh, Rodney King. He was in office when, when Rodney King happened, which we'll get to later, but um, LA was predominantly white city. Right. Um, and this man served five terms. From seventy three to ninety three, problematic. Um, <laughs> well, I mean, it depends on how you look at it. I mean, I guess it depends on how you look at it. That is a long, that is a very long time, uh, especially for him to be the first. I, I don't, I don't, I don't know how I feel about that. I have mixed feelings, uh, and I'll tell you, there's why. no like way oh, you are up to date though. with the
0: people on that level to be able to serve over ten years. Yeah,
1: I, I don't know. I mean, a lot of people was unhappy with him So maybe you correct I mean, you could be I mean, you know a lot of people uh, Did you did take like a, any Indian
0: type of situation. socioeconomical class <laughs> along the way? Any updates <laughs> on <laughs> Okay, any type of volunteer work, you know Let me shut up All right, go ahead, I'm sorry <laughs>
1: um, So this was 73 He was So 73 to 93, right, is when he was in office He was I, I'm going to keep mentioning this Because that's what I need people to understand He was the son of a sharecropper And the grandson of slaves 73 93 <coughs> wasn't that long ago. It wasn't that was a fake
0: cough, y'all. That long, that long ago. ago. Was it
1: wasn't that long ago. Anyway, um, oh, so he boy. grew up in poverty. He moved to L.A. when he was seven. Um, his first mayoral campaign, I think that's how you say that, was in uh, 1969. Um, the city was still recovering from the Watts riots back then. Um, that was of uh, 65, and he was defeated the, the first time he went. And there was this negative perception of him um, fostered by his rival, Sam Yardy, I think is how you pronounce it, um, mm-hmm. he, he, just as like a militant radical is essentially how his opponent uh, portrayed him, which eventually ended up meaning he lost it. Um, however, in 1973, he defeated Yardy and was uh, eventually reelected four times. Uh, Okay, so Bradley's achievement included securing the 1984 Summer Olympic Games for LA. I was like, oh, okay, that's cool. And um, presiding over two decades of expansion of of civic growth. Excuse me, expansion and civic growth. Uh, Now, 1989, that was a good year. I'm just saying that was the year I was born. Okay, in 1989, questions were raised about um, consulting fees. That he consulting accepted, fees. yeah. That he accepted. Wait, did you from say? Fi- consulting fees, consulting fees, yeah. Consulting fees that he accept, uh-huh. accepted from firms doing business within the city. Oh, yeah. Although he avoided criminal indictments, civil charges were filed against him and he was fined. Um, now that was in 89. Um, However, the biggest crisis of Bradley's career came in 92, right, in the wake of the acquittal of four white police officers who had been indicted for um, the beating of Rodney King, a black motorist in an incident um, caught on videotape. Five days of rioting ensued in which more than 50 people were killed, thousands injured, widespread arson and looting occurred. Bradley was strongly Criticized for his failure to uh, contain the crisis and did not seek a further term. Um, so, yeah, that's Tom Bradley. That's Tom Bradley for you. You know, this is why
0: mm-hmm. I think for my generation, our generation, I'm acting like we Way in the same generation. police brutality, Black Lives Matter, all of that is so prominent because literally, like, we were born during Rodney King.
1: Right? Yeah, definitely. Definitely. You
0: know, and our kids are now seeing, because we have age, there are a lot of us who have children now, myself not included, Shayla not included as well. Moving on. So um, our children are now seeing George Floyd. You know, and Ahmad Arbery and Brianna Taylor. You know what I'm saying? So it's literally a lifetime for us. It's a lifetime of our parents. It's a
1: lifetime of our grandparents, you know? Mm. That's so true. Um, because even though, I mean, I was alive when the incident happened, but I was very young. um it was talked about for years after so i was very familiar right tv film talked about even some jokes about Everything. it right like it was just brought up so it was a very pivotal moment mm-hmm. um, when you talk about police brutality obviously that was before all, all of those names you just named this current day but it really it was the first one that i could connect to as someone in my generation it was the first one for if you were a late 80s early 90s baby that that was the first one I right. heard heard about
0: I remember you know? the footage of it on my big box ass TV where I had to take the pin and click the button just to change it so we had no remote I yeah, or click the, the footage or click the little uh the uh turn the knob and if you pass your chain, you gotta start all over I remember it on my old ass TVs you know what I'm saying yeah. um it,
1: and I'll get into yeah. it. I'll actually touch on Rodney King when we go over the um, 90s. But, um, yeah, yeah. It, was, it was pivotal. It was a pivotal He's moment. alive
0: still, correct? I think so. I believe he's still alive. Yeah, I think so. I think he's only surfaced like a handful of times since that whole thing.
1: Well, I can understand that.
0: I definitely when can. When you're
1: not trying him. to be the thing that causes the movement, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> you, you know, Don't nobody want to be... And everybody's not,
0: you know, everybody's not an activist. Not everybody wants to take this responsibility and lead people to the the, promised land.
1: If you was just minding your business and something very traumatic and unfortunate happened to you, you may not want to be on the, you know, front line. Yeah. I get that. I always respect
0: that when people are like, please, I'm just trying to carry on with my life. This was... This scarred me literally. I got reminders all over my body of this. I have trauma, you know. I still got to get speeding tickets out here in these streets. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Um, yeah, that's real. So, uh yeah, yeah. I don't. I have not seen much of him though since. I don't even know if there's many interviews without his lawyer being present around that time. Good point. To be point. honest with you, and yeah. again, I have not looked into this audience, so y'all, y'all will know.
1: Yeah, I haven't either. But you're right. I haven't really seen or mm-hmm. heard from him since that event um okay so that that was 73 technically ended in the 90s and then in 76 student-led riots broke out in i believe it's pronounced soweto um the sprawling all-black township outside of johannesburg to protest apartheid um and uh i don't okay i'm gonna get to this later so let me not jump ahead I'm going to give this one and then my next one then I'm going to say. Okay. 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 (laughs) So June uh, 16th, 1976. It was a major turning point in South African history. Uh, The protests by Soweto school children on that day marked the end of submissiveness on the part of the black population of South Africa and the beginning of a new um, militants in the struggle against apartheid. From... June going forward, South African youth took center stage. They would remain in the forefront of resistance to apartheid alongside an increasingly powerful trade union movement. South Africa, um, oh, excuse me, powerful political organization in South Africa. um, And other protests spread quickly to many other parts of the country. Close to 1,000 students were killed in confrontation with police um okay so what i want to say about this is and i feel like this about our our current um movement and i guess really perhaps this has been the case all along but i feel it strongly now that young people will play have played and will play a pivotal role in making change happen um Mm -hmm. So this being student led and being the students, you know, that sort of spearheaded, this makes complete sense to me. Um, mm-hmm. because when I think about current day, I think about the newest generation or, or two, right. Depending on, you know, Gen Z Millennial. I don't know where you want to split that, but really making things happen or at least attempting to make things happen. Um, I don't know. Any thoughts on that? I would absolutely agree. Um, it was
0: you know college students that did the sit-ins and the bus boycotts there were there were you know there was some labor as well with the um labor workers in terms of the boycotts, but I think it has always literally been the younger generation that kind of led that. Um, even if you think about today in the workforce of you know America right now, um it's Gen X is a big part of that. Um, I would say younger millennials are a part of it as well But a lot of these up and coming 20 to 25 Just 30, maybe 33-ish are really what's kind of leading that. Um, I remember a couple of years back, I sat on a board uh, that discussed how the, the generation coming was going to revolutionize the workforce mm. and change how we thought about employees altogether. And there was gonna have to be a force for flexibility and all of that. I think that's always definitely been the case. And I don't even know if that's even necessarily for Black History because if you think about protesting the wars, World War Two and all of that back in the sixties, we just did this. Not still yeah. not going down other <laughs> years. <laughs> Yes, please. Lord, help me. <laughs> um, uh, you know, that was a bunch of young people as well. Uh You know, so I think that's just always been the energy behind things. And um, about South Africa as a whole, there's a lot of student-led riots that take place throughout the history of their independence, for sure.
1: Yeah, that's so real. That's so real. Um, so I don't know. It just felt, even though it was it was not that long ago but technically long ago in the 70s right i, I just felt connected mm. to to current day um absolutely in, in in looking at that um okay so i'm going to touch on her really quick and then i'm going to move to my next big piece so 1977 forgive me for the pronunciation janelle coming song coming come not, i'm going to let you I'm keep gonna, going i'm going to go trying. with coming song <laughs> That's what I'm gonna go with okay uh she represented Trinidad and Tobago and she was crowned um Miss Universe um at the pageant um she was at the in the capital of Dominican Republic and she was the first woman of African descent to win the title um so shout out to your beauty pageant again Good food. <laughs> Okay, (laughs) Revolutionizing the crown Yes (laughs) Um, Okay so this is what I was really wanting to get to No no shade against Miss Janelle So okay also in 77 Stephen Biko happened Right he was a South African Black conscious leader Killed in police custody Um, There is a movie I watched We studied Stephen Biko in um, Was I in middle school I might have been in high school I might have been in high school when we studied his story and um, Denzel Washington played him. And it was like early Denzel Washington, like before he really became the Denzel Washington, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but I remember it being a really powerful movie. We may have had some sort of literature around it as well. I don't remember. Um, but it was just a powerful story. that I remember us covering it. Um, but okay, so just to give some... so y'all know where I'm headed with this? He was a... a, a <laughs> He was uh, the founder of the Black Consciousness Movement in South Africa. His death uh, was from um, injuries he suffered while in police custody, um, and it made him an international martyr for South African black nationalism. Um, now, after he graduated, he I believe he graduated undergrad. It didn't overtly say this, but he was headed to medical school, right? So mm-hmm. um, after he, see, so he was a student to go to our previous point um but anyway after graduating he was involved with the National Union of South African Students N U S A S. that's what U-S-A-S? I'm going with U-S-A-S? N-U-S-A-S National Union oh, of oh, South got African you. Students okay.
0: Yeah, we spelling that one. Okay, gotcha. Okay,
1: gotcha. Okay. Which supported the mm-hmm. rights of uh, blacks. Biko uh, believed that instead of simply allowing blacks to participate in white South African society, the society itself needed to be restructured um, around the culture of the black majority. I understand how you got there, Steve. Right? Makes mm-hmm. sense to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, In 1968, so it's taking it back just a little bit, he co-founded the All Black South African Organization, excuse me, SASO, so SASO, a lot of acronyms, so bear with me, and he became the first president, (laughs) he became the first president of of it the following year. Um, now, this organization was based on the philosophy of Black consciousness, which encouraged Blacks to recognize their inherent dignity and self worth. Mm. And I thought, yeah, I like that. Um, mm-hmm. It just it reminded me of kind of even here in America. And I was talking I was talking to Patrice about this off uh, when we weren't recording, but I feel like a good portion of the civil rights movement. At least when you think about the MLK version of that Mm -hmm. was like assimilate, right? Like we want Mm -hmm. equal, we want the same, you know, right? 70s was kind of this transition period of rebellion, right? And then Mm -hmm. I feel 80s became like us establishing our own identity mm-hmm. right rap music came about I don't want to skip ahead today but okay you know rap music came about hip-hop kind of formed like it mm-hmm. became us so I kind of feel like we went through this identity crisis type situation as a people at least here in America I can't speak about worldwide um, and so I don't know just reading that and thinking about what he stood for and about him sort of pushing this message of our self-worth just kind of triggered that for me with that thought process Mm -hmm. about what we have been through when you look at the 60s, 70s, 80s, sort of lined up in that way.
0: Yeah, I I love how you lay that down because um, I think many people get lost in that. They focus on so much how different we are from our sisters in Africa, or our brothers and sisters in Haiti, or Jamaica, et cetera. You know, there's so much emphasis on what we don't do similar. I think we miss a lot of the identity that has been formed and the culture that has been formed, and even shared with, because if you think about abroad, now we have africans who are also into r&b and hip-hop it's just Mm. it's considered afro beats and you know what i mean like uh to me uh reggae is like an island r&b that at least it makes me feel that way you know it Mm. just has it has the culture on it which i love um but so i feel like it's 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 interesting how and although we're all spread out doing very different things we all have come to um ha- to work to establish our culture and our identity based on where we landed and there're still similarities you know mm-hmm. what i'm saying that mm-hmm. just goes that ties us right back to the motherland and um and I, you know and to me that's a beautiful thing you know what i'm saying um that goes to speak to the power of people and culture. And, um, to me, I think that's a beautiful thing because that spreads who we are that much further, that much wider. Um, I think that right now we're in a phase of establishing the, how sacred that culture is Mm -hmm. and how, um, delicate it is you know what I'm saying I don't think many people understand that when you go through what you have gone through to establish your identity and your culture and stand in your blackness and your greatness that I think there's there's a misunderstanding in terms of what that means for a lot of people and they often like to say oh you're gatekeeping it's just braids or you're gatekeeping it's just this but that is that's culture you know what I mean um but not to get off topic, but yeah, I think it's it's beautiful to see um, how we have kind of definitely, although walked different, I won't say experiences, because racism is definitely worldwide, um, but gone through different versions of these events, but yeah. still have this heart concept, you know what I mean, of black culture, regardless of where that walk may be.
1: Yeah, that's so true. That's so true um well that that wraps up the 70s and what i had i think mr bico was a good place to end it
0: okie dokie what's that the 80s are coming through what what why okay so y'all know i gotta start off with mr robert l johnson Who launches BET, Black Entertainment Television. Okay, literally in the 80s. Um, It started off as Only Old Films. But also, he began to take advantage of the fact that MTV and VH1 wouldn't showcase black artists. Mm -hmm. Um, Or I should say, they showcased few. You know, the crossover artists like Michael Jackson, Prince, Whitney Houston, etc. But so he then builds relationships with artists and record labels of rhythm and blues and hip-hop artists, also a.k.a. R&B. And he later sells the network to Viacom in two thousand for two point three billion, earning one point four billion in stock for himself. No. So, <laughs> thinking about the early days of BET, it's like night and day to what it is right now. Mm-hmm. Um, there was even like a struggle at one point where you could tell that he was no longer running BET yeah. at one point. That's real. I think that's when it became. It got it became under controversy because you start noticing the only films that were being shown were like stereotypical production produced low budget type movies. that only show black people in one way. I think the voice of the community changed that. And now we start getting shows and things are more up to date. Shows like the game came from that and mm-hmm. so on. That really changed the image of BET. But in one park, oh, six and, right yeah those were were good times (laughs) (laughs) i miss our own little uh countdown music video i miss (laughs) the music video shows period i was a pop-up video fan even though i only saw prince of whitney houston on there you know i still like my alternative rock and roll um but so i just love music video shows period but one of those in park was shit it was dope it was was definitely it
1: definitely was free with the afro and the boots i mean
0: okay you know, Meg the Stallion brought a BET Uncut. She was like, she used to wait for her grandma to go to bed <laughs> and then stay up and watch BET Uncut. And she thinks that's what make Meg the Stallion.
1: I'm like, well, I mean,
0: that makes sense.
1: Yeah, yeah, it does. Uh, and it, it represents so much entertainment as a whole. You know, there was comedy. Mm-hmm. There was shows. There was music. It really covered a broad and widespread when it came yes. to what we were, um, you know, our talents and what we were putting out.
0: Yep. The yeah. The comic View days. <sighs> yeah. Ricky yeah. Smiley. Oh. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Good times, man. That's one thing I do miss, 80s and 90s. Things were so much more simpler. People used to call the restaurant, see if you're there, give them this message because they don't have a cell phone or page it. You know what I mean? (laughs) I do wish I didn't spend so much time on my phone and on devices today. You know what I mean? There was so much Mm. engagement to life itself. But that's another conversation. Um, But so, yes, BET is established in the 80s. Um, and now we know BAT plus, but so from there, I'm going to jump over to the Miami riots, which took place in Liberty city. Um, this was known to be one of the worst riots in us history, history, excuse me, can I talk? It's considered to be the worst us, um, worst riot in us history since the Detroit riots in 1967. Okay child i feel like i need to say it again because i i just babbled through that i don't know what happened.
1: i got you um, it was the worst in u.s history thank it you coming only second to detroit's in 1967 i got thank
0: you, you. Mm-hmm. see this is why i got Chella for y'all She be mm-hmm. help me out get these sentences out because y'all know at some point it becomes babble babble um but so uh it was a major race right um And essentially, in December of 1979, a number of white Miami-Dade, Florida police officers were involved in a high-speed chase involving black motorist Arthur McDuffie. Now, the police report shows that the chase ended with McDuffie crashing his motorcycle and he was pronounced dead on the scene. However, Corner Reports, sounds real familiar, y'all. Corner reports suggest that the death was not consistent with the motorcycle crash. Later, a responding officer um, following the chase testified that there was no crash and that the police officers had beaten McDuffie to death with their flashlights.
1: Oh, wow.
0: I know. And what year was this? I'm sorry?
1: What year was this?
0: This is 1979 when the case happens, okay. but the riot takes place later. So what happens is, um, even with the coroner report and the testimony from police and witnesses, an all-white jury concluded that the trial on May 17, 1980, was they, they're basically going to acquit all the officers involved with the with the case. So they let them all walk. News spread to surrounding areas and residents of mostly African-American Liberty City. Um, so, well, it was mostly African, also Afro-West Indian residents, and they took to the streets and protested. Um mm-hmm. and- soon turned violent when protesters began throwing objects at passing white motorists who drove through the area, and by nightfall, the violence had escalated to a full-blown riot as angry blacks attacked motorists fleeing their vehicles. Um, It moved into neighboring white business districts and the headquarters of the Dade County Department of Public Safety. Um, Black leaders of the Miami-Dade County NAACP and national leaders such as Jesse Jackson were also unsuccessful in halting the violence um, that was caused. And eventually the Florida National Guard was called and um, in to aid the Miami-Dade Police Force. Uh, In total, this riot lasted 24 hours and 15 people were killed
1: that's a lot to happen in tw- 24
0: hours. It is a lot to happen in 24 hours and you mm-hmm. would just think like you know and I'm going to be honest with y'all. I think this is why they held the um the law the the most recent cases of a mob arbery and also um The young man who was murdered by the cop um, who was, she was supposed to be reaching for a taser and reached for a gun instead. I feel like this is why they held it in the (laughs) wintertime. This is my theory, mm-hmm. my conspiracy, because they were like, are they going to stand outside in the cold? Let's see. I think that's what that was about, because I was like, these cases sure they come up quick. Usually it's like a it's longer than a year that's and weird. they're not back to back like that. Ahmaud Aubrey did not happen at around the same time as that young man who was murdered and shot in the back by that um, female um Cop, so I was confused as to, to the timing of those cases, but I was like, "Oh, it's the wintertime. They just don't want nothing to happen." And they're like, "Are they gonna stand in the cold? They gonna do it?" That's my theory, but it's a, you know, it's
1: a possible theory. I'm not gonna. It, I'm not gonna say that that doesn't make sense.
0: Right, uh, you know I of course it's never okay for people to pass you know of course um as a result of this you definitely want to see the loss of more life as a result mm-hmm. um when justice is miscarried however i understand the anger behind it you know what i mean to yeah. fuel enough to fuel a riot. i i understand that anger um and with these recent verdicts, I hope we continue to move in a positive direction. That is the goal. Again, sometimes it feels like we take one blow and then they put a bandit on another old wound and take another blow, a bandit, another... Sometimes it feels like that. So you just you just never really know. Yeah. Um, and I will continue. Do you have any thoughts on that?
1: No. I mean, it just... It's sometimes... Um... Okay. Yes, I do. Okay. So sometimes um, it saddens me to hear about things that have happened in history. This sound like if I took the data away, it sounds like it could yep. still be happening today. Um, right. Because then that, that that brings me to a place of like, dang, like, you know, we haven't come as far as I thought we have is where my thought process goes. Um, so that, that saddens me to know that that was, you know, 20, 30, you know, years ago. Or more, forty. I don't know. You, oh, you right. see, the yeah. riots happened in yeah. eighty, but technically that was seventy-nine. But, um, yeah, that because that's a real life today situation, to me. Mm-hmm. And it nothing to the separate anger to separate them forty-something year, thirty or whatever. Yeah, years.
0: it fuels the anger and the emotion behind it too. You know, when you know how many times we have been in the situation. Wrongful death, police brutality, murders, police acquittals, or negligence, injustice. You just continuously, like, it it gets tired. And I think Tupac said it best, you know. We said, we hungry? Please let us in. So many times, and asked, and asked, and asked. At some point, you do find yourself, you know, dealing with these type of situations. And I think... I'm hoping that, you know, there was a big lesson learned around the George Floyd protests. Mm. Um, I think that was so egregious to the point to where you could not ignore it. But it shouldn't take that. It should never take all of this. It should should never have to take a single life ended, a single burnt building, a single scream or cry. to say equality is necessary and justice is necessary for all, you know? Mm. So So, So that's just my take. Um, So in the early 80s as well, the term female genital mutilation came into being. Um, The term was formally adopted at the third conference of the Inter-African Committee on Traditional Practices Affecting the Health of Women and Health in Addis Ababa, Ethiopia. Um, now before it was considered female circumcision, however, it, it was essentially mutilation, right? Mm-hmm. Um uh, some governments and organizations resented the use of the word mutilation since it was not the goal of the family despite the ultimate Mm. result ending as so um this practice was done to initiate a girl into womanhood for the audience who's unfamiliar and also control her sexuality to limit her ability to achieve an orgasm through sex and masturbation um and also Her engagement with sexual encounters overall. Um, So families and individuals would order this to be done on their girls to prevent losing status as a society Mm. expectation. So in other words, the families did it because they were supposed to. If it was not done, they would lose status in terms of honorable, if that makes sense. Right. Although, however, it was practiced in many countries, including Europe, Asia, the Middle East, and African countries, African countries have an estimate of 90 million girls and women over the age of 10 that have experienced this. Uh, These procedures were conducted by surgeons and sometimes non-professionals without anesthesia and cause shock, severe bleeding... Uh, later urine retention and or adjacent injuries to nearby vital areas as well. Um, so although it has decreased in the practice, it is still going on today, mm-hmm. um, and it is prominently mostly affecting African women and um, girls. So um, I wish there was an update to say that something outlawed that, but it has not been. Wow.
1: Um, yeah. 90 million, that's a lot that
0: That's is a lot.
1: lot I didn't know it was happening in other places um, I did not World either. Um, And I don't know what those other um, Countries or, or continents Numbers are um, But 90 million sounds Like a lot To me It is a lot and yeah. I understand that Africa is a continent Not a country um, So obviously they have a lot of people But um, that's a staggering number to me
0: yeah um so what's interesting is they say it's often related to religious practices however Uh they haven't found ties to any single religion that requires it Hmm. so i don't know if it comes back on the whole um, eye for an eye thing. And some people take it literally. Some people don't. You know, is it one of those situations in time in terms of interpretation? I don't know. Um, but I thought that was interesting. It, it was also around uh, around this time was actually the first time that they discussed women and um, children issues at this conference as well. It had never mm. came up before prior. So. Um, that is something else to know as well, as we know when it comes to health and um women, let alone black women, the research, the history, the interests, the cause for action is very behind um right. so yeah so moving right along, friends uh so <clears throat> a couple other things. Um, so this one is going to take place in South Africa, um, which is (laughs) more strikes. Um, and it's actually a student protest that Mm -hmm. took place in Western Cape, um, in the 1980s. Um, essentially it started with labor unrest. I think I may have talked about this in the past as well. I think, but, um, that's why I say that South Africa has a long history of it from the establishment of the trade unions, uh the south african trade union then the african congress of trade union then the federation of free african trade union with all disintegrated in the 1960s then rolled into um, uh, more boycotts and product boycotts and civic mobilization um so this um boycott, which uh, there's so much to this. So for the audience, I apologize in advance. This was something that was a long time coming. Um, But on June 3rd, 1980, a protest against higher bus fares erupted in the Cape Flats in Cape Town. The protest was organized an attempt by the community to reverse recent bus fare increases. A bus action committee whose task was to coordinate the boycott was formed. And once again, as also in a prior meat boycott, students became instrumental in giving monumental to oh sorry, monumental momentum to the boycott. Uh, a committee of 81 appointed representatives who sat on the bus action committee. Uh, students distributed literature while others organized lift clubs. When support began to wane, some students attempted to enforce the boycott by force. Buses were stoned, and in other cases, buses were stopped and people were ordered to get off the bus. Um, there was also a red meat boycott as well around in the 19 years at the same time Um, so a student boycott extended beyond the demand for better education as it became intertwined with broader struggles of the local working class. Their boycott overlapped with strikes and other boycotts where students played an active role. A case in point is the student support of the red meat boycott. Um, an estimated 800 meat workers belonging to the Western Province General Workers Union went on strike in support of fellow workers who had been dismissed. The dismissed employees were demanding the recognition of their unregistered and elected non-racial workers committee. Um, Organizers of the the strike called for community support to raise money to mitigate the impact of the strike for fellow meat workers and called for boycott of all red meat. So, I mean, to be honest with you, South Africa has a very long history of... um, not only student boycotts, but also some uh, riots and Mm-hmm. Basically demanding equality, if not from the workforce, for education, um, <laughs> transportation, bus fare, really, you know, um, and there's so much to be learned. I've I've seen so many articles. In fact, if the audience wants to go to sahistory.org.za, they have tons and tons of um, going over the freedom struggle in Cape Town. I think I referenced one from the 40s as well. Um, great our um, website for many, many South African um, history monumental um, moments, but did you want to cover anything on that? More students, like you said.
1: <laughs> yeah. Um, no, I mean I think that just it's a uh, it's something that kind of gets um, recreated through throughout mm-hmm. history um, that the young people make it happen. You know. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, I don't know. I mean I think. In, in their own way, each new generation, generation is a little more progressive than the last one, right? So then I think with that progression kind of comes with like, hey, we're not going to take this, right? Mm-hmm. With each one, you know, that, that's not to take anything away from the previous one, but the new one. Uh, the new generation saw their parents go through something that usually yeah. impacts or provides some sort of passion or perspective about something in a new way. Um, and I love to see it. I think it's great. You know, mm-hmm. uh, when I think about the issues that we face today, I'm like, okay, Gen Z probably going to show up and show out, you know? yeah, um, Yeah. If they have not already, I mean, some small things here and there, I know. But I just mean, when we look back in history at this, time, I think it's going to be like, oh, yeah, Gen Z, millennials. They, they yeah. make that happen.
0: I think if racism is going to last as long as we all expect it to, they will have to. Um, because even that's if real. you think about TikTok today, for example, an app that obviously has not been around longer than, in fact, less than maybe five years, and that's just running with it. Um, but definitely has not been popping in the last three years thanks to COVID. Um, but even then, Forbes just released a list of top um, content creators based off their income. And although there are plenty of black creators with millions of followers, not a single black creator made that list. And this is all have always been known that black creators either get have been um, shadow banned or there's complaints about, you know, those who are involved in activism. Certain things can and cannot be said on the app that can be said for other groups Mm. that have more hate speech, things like that Um, in terms of security of the app that has linked more has more issues, I guess you could say, in terms of those who are speaking up for um, Black Lives Matter and um, activism. And so in terms of compensation, all the dances that have been, that have been used by other white creators that they are not profiting off of, that they learned from black creators. I mean, to the point where there was literally a boycott over the summer from black creators refusing to make dances because their content kept getting stolen and profit off of, you know... Um, you. It, <laughs> there has to be an evolving, you know, you have to evolve with it. As long as racism is going to be around, I feel like our generations will always have to continue to keep that expectation up and continue to raise the bar and do so a little more than the last group to see a little more progress. Yeah, I agree completely. So, um, um, now we're going to jump over to the UK in the eighties. Um, so, um, it's, it's actually specifically in Brixton. Um, so on January 17th in 1981 at a birthday party in New Cross Road in Deptford, 13 young black people died in a house fire. It was a widely held assumption that the fire was a racist attack started on purpose by... Sir, fascists, most likely using a patrol bomb. However, this line of inquiry was quickly dropped in favour of a theory that a fight had broken out the party due to quote unquote unruly black youth. Um, and they had caused their own deaths. Survivors as young as 11 were subject to hours of police questioning, many of whom were encouraged to sign false statements about what had happened. Oh, wow. The outrage and despair that came from the new crossfire led to one of the most important and impactful events in U.K. history. The National Black People's Day of Action was organized in the weeks after the fire on Monday march 2nd 1981 more than 200,000, almost exclusively black protesters marched from new cross into central london as a direct response to the far rights call to keep britain white and the demand for justice not only for the young people who died but for the black community as a whole this was also during the time that mara stewart became the first black woman newsreader on tv and it didn't stop there um over 40 years, she continued to, um, air and, um, she was a newsreader for Chris Evans breakfast show on BBC radio. And she, um, who also had her own music show every Sunday. So, uh, yeah, that is that.
1: Okay, so we hope that you guys um, enjoyed this episode. As always, like, share, subscribe, follow us on IG at Melanated Intellects. Uh, Of course, you're more than welcome to DM us there. And, um, you know, share your thoughts on anything that we went over or correct us if we were wrong. Um, Our links are always in the description. So you can, of course, take a look at that. And um, until next time, anything that you want to add, Patrice?
0: uh no uh lots of great information um and stay tuned for next episode bye